welcome to CAA On Air, the new podcast from the Civil Aviation Authority. We're going to primarily cover in, our, in our monthly episodes um, innovation, general aviation and drones or unmanned aircraft, whichever is your preference to call them. Um, I'm Jonathan Nicholson. I'm Assistant Director of Communications and we'll be joined by various people from throughout the CIA to talk about their specialist subjects. So let's get on with it. This is CAA On Air. So historically, the, the UK has always been at the forefront of aviation, going right back to the earliest the earliest kind of flying, I guess. Um, and we still want the UK to be there. We still play big parts in developing some of the major airliners through Airbus and, and other companies as well. Um, and, and it's whether it's people based in the UK or people coming to the UK to use our facilities, we, we absolutely want to help the UK be in that position. Safety obviously always comes first, um, but... We want to encourage those people. And uh, last year, we formed our new innovation team within the CAA. We're going to talk briefly today about why and how that's set up. And I'm glad to say we're joined by David Tate from the innovation team, who's the innovation strategy lead. So, uh, David, what's the the background to why we set up this team? Okay. um, So, as you said, innovation is is somewhat innate in aviation. And... We'd seen uh, the CA as an organisation, seen a huge number of really interesting trends coming forward. Drones, uh, the consumerisation of aviation, interesting new uses of of, uh, online and digital technology to sell, uh, travel and arrangements and airfares to to consumers directly. Um, And and then also things like uh, the government's steer that they wanted to see spaceflight come to the UK. Um, And... All of those things have been big additions to what the CAA does, uh, but they'd sort of happened on a one-off basis. They were, they'd been looked at as big strategic goals that we wanted to take on and do something about. But we realised that there was going to be more and more of these types of innovations, that the, the nature of innovation was changing, it was getting faster, the traditional supply chains that we had weren't necessarily um, that, that sort of end-to-end knowledge um, and the compartmentalization of aviation from the rest of the economy wasn't necessarily going to be there in the way that it had been in the past. So we wanted a, a, a strategic response and um, our board decided that they wanted to do something a little bit differently from the way we do it in the rest of the business. It should be a bit more open. It should be have less of a sort of clubby feel to it. Um, it should try and open the business up a bit. And, and so they decided they wanted to do something. They didn't necessarily know what. Um, so they, they tasked the team to go out and do some work with uh, industry directly and we we did a lot of um, discussions and focus groups and uh, interviews with industry players, some of whom had a great experience of working with the CAA, some of whom had a not so great an experience of working with the CAA and they gave us some really candid and honest feedback about what they wanted us to do and we that took us to the, the sort of model that we've got to today of setting up the innovation hub and having lots of different things that it would do we'll maybe talk about them a bit later mm. but we then were very lucky that the government also came along with some money at the right time and they uh they funded this uh ambitious and slightly new way of doing things so they took a bit of a risk and that, that was to set it up and get it going wasn't exactly, it? exactly yeah so that that was money from the um department for business energy and the industrial strategy and they set up a thing called the regulators pioneer fund about a year ago uh, exactly and we went in with a really big and ambitious bid to to get funding to do an 18-month project and uh to to set up a team of 10 people who would 
do lots of different things for industry and um we we won which was great and they uh we've been stood up since april this year Mm, that's great and it's doing some good stuff already now one of the the big things was separating out perhaps the the kind of advice and and sort of instant help we would give to some of these people as opposed to the safety regulations so i know in the past when we've worked with the drone unit they've had people come to them and, and ask for advice on setting up some kind of new tech and then four months later the same person in in the in the cia has to say whether it's safe or not and it's kind of a bit judging your own homework kind of thing it could be judged as so one of the big things was to separate those two bits out wasn't it yeah i mean that's that that is really challenging. We don't want to, uh, what you really talk about is our regulatory independence and we don't want to compromise that in any, in any way. Um, we want to maintain safety standards at all times, um, enhance protections for consumers, that sort of thing. Um, but we also want to help industry to, to innovate and uh, to maintain that sort of ethos that there is in aviation in particular. So we, we deliberately moved and set up the innovation team in our strategy and policy division rather than in our core uh, safety and aerospace regulation group and that's um, made it made, we work really closely together and um, very much a partnership across the business but it is uh, quite a different mindset we're not there to um give people regulatory approvals what we're there to do is build a relationship with the, the innovators to understand what it is they want to achieve to help them understand the complexity of the regulations and to interpret them in a way that will get them where they think they need to go and also to, to learn about what they're doing and feed it back into our core business because as you say it could it could be that it might be years between having an initial discussion with the CAA about something and then wanting to come forward for a regulatory approval so uh, that chance to build that relationship a long-term relationship is something that's really valuable yeah yeah i can see that and, and that's what's offering the value isn't it to, to the to the people that come to us now the the team is split into well a, a number of bits but the the three main bits is an innovation gateway a lab and a sandbox <laughs> yeah, that sounds great i want to be in the sandbox what what do what are the three elements so if i come to you as as a whiz company uh, and I, I need your help what are those three elements offering me yeah so it, they're all quite different but we're we're quite a close team of 10 and we work everybody works across different parts of it but then also together so we're trying to take a deliberately not siloed approach so when, when i say we do these three things there that's what everybody does everyone works to support everyone else and to support the innovators that have joined us in that process so the gateway um we really took to heart the feedback that the ca could be seen as quite monolithic a bit of a, a sort of clubby culture you were in or you were out you knew how to have a conversation with us or you didn't uh, and that tended to to to, to favor people who've been involved in aviation for a long time so we we built um a gateway, which is basically a sort of the front end, our website, but also a series of online forms that allow you to directly access the innovation team, a rapid response uh, question and answer service, end-to-end um, -end customer support so that we would give you, if you came to us, we would have a case officer assigned to take you through answering your initial question, triaging what your challenge is, figuring out if you actually need to be regulated, and if you do, which regulatory team you need to speak to and what your outcome might look like. And then taking you to that other team within the business, because again, a big bit of feedback we'd had was that people would get 
move from pillar to post, they wouldn't necessarily get um, uh, that sort of one-stop service. And that's what we, we aim to provide with that gateway. It also is the place where we house all the publications and the lessons learned that we get. And we get those lessons learned from the sandbox. And that um, is a term that a lot of regulators have stolen from software development. It's not like that. It's more of a, a regulatory wrapper that we like to put around uh, formal partnerships that we develop with industry in, with innovators in the innovation industry and travel industry. And effectively, it's that we're working more closely with them to build uh, towards their end goal. And we help them define their challenge, the regulatory path they have to go through, and the steps in terms of trials and testing and demonstrations that they'll need to go through to get themselves ready for market. And at some point along the way, they'll actually have to go and get hard regulatory approvals from the core teams. And the ambition in that part of the service is that they're in the best possible state of regulatory readiness so that they have the best possible chance of getting an approval. We can't guarantee that they're going to get one, but we'll do our best to help them be in, in a place where the the team, the core regulatory teams are going to, to, to consider it. And uh, when we're going through that process with them and we're doing the trials and tests, we discover whole heaps of regulations that may apply completely, may not apply at all. Parts of, that we thought we'd have applied don't apply. Uh, and we do a sort of gap analysis with them. And that throws up a lot of areas in which we need new regulation. And that's where the regulatory lab comes in. And it's basically a capability to rapidly prototype new regulations uh, look at what our flexibility, our, our existing regulations are like and how we can flex them, uh, the extent to which we can uh, build new guidance if there's a gap and use that as a way of bridging it before, rather than having people sit and wait and say, well, we can't do anything until we get uh, a new piece of legislation through parliament or secondary legislation. Um, and that's really what that capability is all about because we really recognise that there's a lot of challenges that are coming into aviation, like, our, like increasing use of automation and artificial intelligence, in whatever form or urban air mobility and air taxis or beyond visual line of sight use of drones in new and interesting ways that are really cross-cutting long-term challenges that need a bit of time and space to think about them yeah so and it's making sure they can do it safely yeah but we don't stop them we don't hold them up we don't get in their way we get the same outcome um, as in the fact they they get if it's safe they get to do it but we make sure that path is as smooth and quick as it can possibly be That's, exactly yeah. yeah now when we um uh, a few months ago we announced the first six people that were in the sandbox now i'm going to test you now i'm going to go down the <laughs> six and, you, and and the test is can you quickly tell me what what we're doing with each of these so um in alphabetical order um altitude angel so Altitude Angel are um, a unified traffic management or unmanned aviation systems man traffic management company. And um, we're going to be working with them in our sandbox to look at how you could uh, manage approvals for airspace access. So the next one's probably quite self-explanatory really, isn't yeah. it? Amazon Prime Air? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they're looking at how they can undertake uh, uh, deliveries uh, in the UK for the first time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I could have guessed that one. Um, NBEC, is it how you say? Consortium, which I, I know this this is a, a part of the Cranfield drone corridor, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly. It. Yeah. So um, that's uh, a consortium including um, uh, Cranfield University, uh, Thales, uh, Blue Bear Systems, um, and Vodafone. I don't think I've missed anyone out. Uh, who are working together to build a national beyond visual line of sight experimental corridor, which is basically a place, an environment where anyone can come and fly any type of drone 
beyond, and, or yeah. within limits beyond visual line of sight. And that goes from Cranfield Airfield <laughs> out into their one of their test sites, doesn't it? Yeah, yes. it's about 16 kilometres. Nice. And uh, the next one people might have heard of, NATS. Yeah. So um, in addition to being the on-route service provider, NATS and uh, one of their partners, Sea Ridge Technologies, are looking at how they can uh, enhance uh, tower operations at the airports that they support the, the, the ground-based operations at. And um, they're looking at using an entire AI assistant to manage ground movements. Nice. So artificial intelligence in control towers and, exactly. and, and in the systems. Yep. Cool. Um, and Nesta. So I know they're a government-linked sort of research company, aren't they? That's, uh, yeah, I think they're... Uh, National, they used to be called the National Endowment for Science, Technology and the Arts, but they're an innovation foundation and I think they got originally set up with a grant from the National Lottery and they look at how you can deploy new technology in public environment and for public good and they're looking to run a series of challenges um, around using drones for public good and, and uh, ser- services in cities. Yeah, so I think one of those things we've spoken to them before is about a, an NHS drone they're going to test in the Midlands as well, isn't it? And and things, actual in-city use of drones to actually help people rather than just be commercial stuff as well. That's uh, yeah. interesting. Um, and lastly, on, on the list, uh, but not last, not least, uh, a Volocopter. Yeah, so Volocopter are a German company who um, are building... Uh, passenger e-electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, uh, which could in future provide personalised transport in cities. Uh, And they are looking at about a 30-minute range and flying around, considering how that might come to the UK. Nice. And that obviously is a much bigger project as well, because we've got EASA regulations and sort of worldwide development there. But that, that comes back to the UK, you know, if it's not a UK company, about us offering facilities and sites and first class regulation that actually encourages these people to come here, isn't it? That's, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think it's the UK airspace is, is open to anyone who can meet the safety standards and Protect, consumer protection standards and it's great to, to work, have a, another international dimension including, you know Amazon's there as well uh, to, to that so it's not just UK entities mm, it's good it's good UK come and come and play <laughs> um, so that's where we are with the the six in the sandbox what's what's next what else are you working on what secrets can you tell us that's coming uh-huh. up along the line now well maybe not a secret but last week we just launched our uh, ask for um, a new cohort of sandbox participants to come in uh, and they are for people who want to do beyond visual line of sight trials in unsegregated airspace so that's really pushing the boundaries of what you can do at the moment commercially in the UK uh, and so we're looking for some more people to come in and join the sandbox in future we're thinking about um, that's slightly different from our first cohort it's very focused around challenges and that's probably the approach we're going to take in future is to based on the intelligence we're getting from our, our existing relationships think about what's the um, what could those challenges be in future so we, we there might be one around there could be one around UTM or there could be one around urban air mobility and you know those are maybe a bit further away but there's definitely um, scope that we could look at something like that so it's watch, watch this space then. exactly yeah. nice. and, and a lot of the work at the moment is very kind of drone urban air mobility that that kind of stuff but mm. I guess in the future if there's the demand you know, you've mentioned previously in the conversation about the travel industry and that kind of stuff so we we could open this up to beyond those kind of markets where we already are yeah so i think for the that's in the in the sandbox but we're, it, it's quite focused in that way but gateway we're already supporting um a number of new new types of travel companies who've come forward and said 
you know, do we need to be regulated? We're doing something really interesting with algorithms, you know, new types of, of uh, consumer technologies that are being brought in. So we're already assisting in that space. So it's definitely, we're, we're, there's already an offering for them there. Um, but long term in the future, we might be looking at things like personalized pricing, looking at the use of artificial intelligence in, in the experience of people going through airports, that kind of thing. So it's, there, there's all sorts of ways in which this could go. We're, we're open to anything. Fantastic. Within limits. Yeah, as long as it's safe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll be covering innovation in, in every podcast, I think, going forward. So I'm sure you'll be back to tell us uh, what you're working on then. But thank you very much, David. Thanks. From the latest innovation to general aviation, this is CAA On Air. So in the podcast, we've we've sort of said we always want to try and cover a bit of general aviation. And um, I'm pleased to say we're, we're joined by Rachel Gardner-Paul, who is our head of the General Aviation Unit. I was going to say new head. Is it still new, Rachel? Um, so good point. I've been here actually in the role for two months, but it probably feels like about two years because there is so much going on. That's what happens, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> if you work for the CIA, there's always a lot going on, especially in GA. Now, um, what we wanted to talk about today is um, when we were at Aero Expo um, at the show, we announced the fact that we were letting the British Microlight Aircraft Association now issue, um, or will be in the future, in the near future, issue initial Microlight licenses for pilots. Um, what's the what's the background to that? Yes, yeah, so that's all part of our principles for GA. One of which is to delegate to other organisations where possible. Um, and as a result, we've been working closely with the British Microlight Aircraft Association over the last couple of years um, to ensure that. They're set up um, to be able to do this and they can now actually initial, issue initial um, national private pilot licences on our behalf. Um, obviously, we had to make sure that there wasn't going to be any degradation in safety through doing this and, and they were able to process um, the licences. But it actually makes sense for them to do that because they are much closer to the pilots who are members of their organisation. So, uh, I mean, they were already doing a lot of the work it's that final stage of actually making the the decision to actually and and issue the license as well isn't it that we've added on yes that's right so prior to this they were just making a recommendation to us and then we would do some initial internal checks and before issuing the license so it absolutely made sense that we handed over the whole process to them and this is something we look to continue to do. As you said, it's one of the key principles of the of the GA unit. Yes, so we are working with other organisations as well to see um, whether there's any other ways in which we can delegate different responsibilities to organisations. And this is all part of our original principles when we set up the GA unit um, in response to the government red tape challenge, which is to regulate proportionately, deregulate where we can, delegate to other organisations if possible and also remove gold plate. And that's something we're still actively looking to do in all of those cases? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think we've got about 60 projects on our books since, which have, we've identified since I arrived and we've been prioritising them to ensure that we really do show and run through delivery over the next year. So we can look forward to some sort of quite good for GA uh, announcements coming up. Yes, absolutely. Cool. And you know, when we when we do delegate this kind of thing, you mentioned one of the things is 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 safety. Obviously, that's always a given. But presumably, we absolutely also need to be sure that we're not kind of just pushing something onto somebody and and they can't cope because I mean that's unfair. People obviously have an appetite to do things to help, but presumably we also want to make sure that they can actually deliver and, and make it better. Otherwise, there's no point. 
Yes, exactly. So first of all, the organisation needs to be, want to um, take on the responsibility. So we don't work with organisations who have no interest. Um, and the other thing is they need to be able to prove that their processes are in place, that they're able to do things just as well as we can at the CAA. Sometimes it's better than the CAA. And so that's why it does um, take some time. And there is quite a lot of work behind the scenes to actually enable delegation to take place. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, sometimes when people think we can we can push ahead with these things and just just give people everything else to do rather than uh, we do it it's not always that simple because you know the actual organizations themselves need to do a lot of work to to prepare and get into the right place as well yes exactly and so the organizations have to be ready and demonstrate to us that they are ready to take on these responsibilities that all makes sense so that's great thank you so uh rachel great to hear from you and uh look forward to hearing from you again and if there's anybody uh want to wants us to cover any particular issues about general aviation or rachel to come and talk about something on the podcast let us know um it's uh, on air at cia.co.uk thanks very much thank you very much from air traffic zones to controlling drones this is caa on air So we're going to move on to drones, one of the big issues we want to cover in the podcast quite regularly. And we're joined by Andy Hamilton, sector lead in our UAS unit. Now, um, if you have an Inspire 2 and you're a commercial operator, cast your mind back. Um, You might have had some notifications from us about battery issues. And um, one of the ways we got in contact people was by um, what we call safety notices. Now, for traditional aviation, long-term aviation, if you're an airline or an aircraft owner, safety notices are something we send out quite regularly, but appreciate to, to drone users. It's probably the first time we've we done that. Um, Andy, what, what would we use a safety notice for? Uh, really, to alert the drone community, uh, we've got an issue uh, with a particular type of platform or a particular type of software or anything we want to alert a safety notice to, to users for. Uh, regarding the Inspire 2 you were talking about, we picked up an issue on the, some mandatory occurrence reports where we'd seen some operators complain about battery voltage. Also picked up some things from social media that people were sending in. And we thought it was imperative to get this information out to other Inspire users uh, just to make sure they're aware. And we did this by way of a safety notice. And that's what we do for other bits of aviation as well. So. Um, if you're a drone user and you want to get hold of these safety notices, because we it's, it's, we would only send them out if it's a really urgent thing that we want people to do. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's correct. We wouldn't do them out for the normal sort of mundane things. We might use Twitter or other social media um, outlets to, to, to alert people. Um, so it's got to be something sort of very serious that we deem is, is sort of quite critical. And, and very urgent, presumably, as well. It's, it's a kind of, it's normally a thing... Um, Am I right in that this is something you've got to do now? Yeah, definitely. You're gonna, you'll receive an email that we've got from your sort of PFCO records and it's something you really do have to act on. And if people, um, yeah, so they should get it automatically if they're a commercially approved operator. But other people, how, how or, or as a sort of backup, how can you also double check about what, what is going out? I think the biggest way is Skywise. So there's a Skywise account that we have at the CAA. That's one of the sort of fundamental ways we get out information. And you can register with the, with the CAA and you can set up alerts as well for drones. So you automatically get an alert on your, on your smartphone to tell you that there's something there for you to acknowledge and, and take action with. Cool, and uh, yeah, Skywise, if people come to the CIA website, search for Skywise, you can find that. You can get it by email alerts or 
as Andy said, by by the app. Um, and it's also great for just general drone updates and airspace alerts as well. So quite often we'll put out in the airspace alerts category something about an air show or an airspace closure. Um, thank you, Andy. That's that's really great. So uh, the number one thing is if you're a commercial operator or even a, a, an enthusiast, sign up and look out for them. Yep, definitely. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and uh, drones will be covering quite regularly. So if you have anything you'd like to uh, cover for drones and ask Andy or, or Sophie heads up the unit, then let us know. So that was the first episode of CA On Air. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe to us. You can get us at all the places you usually get your podcasts. And if there's anything you'd particularly like us to cover in a future edition of, uh, of the podcast, let us know. You can reach us by email at onair at caa.co.uk. See you next time. Thanks for listening. This is CAA On Air.